Okay. Well, first of all, you don't. Most of you don't realize when you were talking that everything you said was very true. Obviously, um, but also just confirmation and. Um, I do not like to be public speaking, so this is really the Lord wanting me to do this. Um, I usually talk really fast because I'm nervous. Um, I might get tongue-tied. That's why I didn't want them to record me. <laughs> um, but I'm, I've really just been praying that the Lord would speak through me, and it would be his words that you hear, his heart in me, and what he's done in my life. I'm going to share my testimony because that's what brought me to where I am and why I am up where I am. First, I'm going to share that first. Um, but thank you so much for the encouragement and the words. I wish I could have recorded it. Well, I guess you did. <laughs> um, so that I can go back and really um, meditate on them. And my nose runs a lot, and I cry. So, <laughs> so um, in this the testimony is something I read. Um, I'm, I'm a big proponent and a, a advocate for Celebrate Recovery because that's where my relationship with Jesus came into being. And so this is that testimony. So I'm sorry if you have little ones here and they hear something they ask you about later, you have to explain. Um, I tried to kind of take some of that out. Um, But it's really important that you know the background. I'm a very grateful believer in Jesus Christ and a survivor of all types of childhood abuse. I'm celebrating recovery over unforgiveness and bitterness. I continue to work on my recovery in the areas of pride, insecurity, and (laughs) people-pleasing. My name is Cindy. I'm the oldest of four daughters, born to an alcoholic father and a codependent mother. We lived in Texas until I was four when my parents divorced. After the divorce, my mother moved us to Oklahoma, which meant we were were to spend summers with my father. My childhood was full of trauma and abuse by both my father and my mother's second husband. Both men were controlling, physically, verbally, emotionally abusive, and they both molested me. My mother had no knowledge of the abuse perpetrated by her second husband nor my father in the summers until I was in my 20s due to her own denial and issues. During some, some summers with my grandparents, I was loved, accepted, and felt valued, which gave me respite from my abusers. My grandparents were God sent to love, encourage, and provide safety for a short amount of time. During the summers with my father, his abuses compounded my feelings of fear, pain, insecurity, distrust of men, and lack of self-worth that I had started gaining from my mother's second husband and his abuses. Around age 13, I finally was free from both men and their abuses. My anger, pain, and frustration at the injustice of my stolen childhood innocence began to surface. I started drinking around 14 or 15 and was raped by a boyfriend two weeks before turning 16. I had thought then that I had let him have something that I vowed to not give up at a youth camp when I was 12, and he had thrown it away. The truth was, he took something from me, and against my will. I became promiscuous, drinking and staying out late became my escape. 
At 16, my mom allowed her former second husband to move back in with us and kicked me out of the house. She knew when I was 10 that he had done something to me but never asked what. The event caused even more feelings of worthlessness, rejection, and feelings of being unloved. I realized at at that tender age I couldn't trust her and was not valued. At this point, I made a subconscious decision I would that I would attempt to control others to limit my pain and began rebelling to authority figures in my life. In college, my promiscuity paid off with a pregnancy my freshman year. In my shock, I allowed my roommate and the father to talk me into an abortion. I continued to shut down my emotions because I was learning that my feelings weren't valid, worthy of being heard or felt. I survived and coped by continuing to shove down further my disappointments, my mistakes, regrets, and abuses I'd experienced into bitterness, anger, avoidance, and denial. I met and married my first husband while in college, ignoring the many red flags with his behavior and in the relationship. We divorced after two years when he decided he wanted other girlfriends and not so much the wife. Again, I felt unworthy, unlovable, alone, and full of more regret. During our separation, my walk with the Lord grew a little closer. I did spend a lot of time in prayer. It was also during the separation that I was able to fully forgive my biological father for his abuses. I decided to stop drinking because I saw the tendency to become like my father, and I wanted to stay as far away from those behaviors as I could. In September of 1991, I moved to Texas to be close to my grandparents and a male friend from college that I had been seeing long distance. We dated for two and a half years and married in 1994. We started trying to have children right away since we both wanted a family. Although my walk with the Lord faltered, I did get involved in church, Sunday school, and mentoring teenage girls, all the things I felt a good Christian should do. God took away my desire to have children. Five heartbreaking years later, I was desperate to keep my mask of togetherness on by pretending all was good and perfect but I still had not dealt with the majority of my issues. I thought this was the husband God had wanted for me, but what I didn't realize was that I had been setting him up as an idol in my life by expecting him to fill a void only God could fill. We continued in ministry at church, eventually becoming foster parents. I thought we were the perfect couple with perfect lives. I pretended we were. At times, I wanted my walk with the Lord to be deeper, and I saw it in others. I just didn't know how to obtain it for myself. In the midst of trying to look so perfect and do all the right things, I was still avoiding my feelings of anger, bitterness, and victimization of growing up with the abuses. I also didn't realize how much denial I was in with all of the unhealthy issues in my suffering marriage. I so desperately wanted to be perfect and happy. I thought that because of my horrible upbringing, I deserved it. I deserved to be happy. Around 2005, I started having symptoms of depression and started seeing a counselor regularly and got on antidepressants. I survived so long doing life on my own, I thought I had to continue to do it alone and move through whatever was stealing my sanity. Pride had become my constant secret companion. We were foster parents to children from 2003 to 2007, adopting two girls when they were 9 and 13. Again, with the fostering and adopting, I was doing things in my own power and handling them in my own way. And then in late 2009, the perfect storm occurred in my life. I hit rock bottom due to the suppressed hurt, anger, unforgiveness, and rejection. I was deeply depressed and had become suicidal with a suicide plan. 
I was more condemning and critical of my family, lashing out in rage constantly. Criticism, condemnation, and rage had become my normal. During my first step study, I I began to see that I created chaos so I could control it, which is absurd. You can't control chaos. During that period, I realized I was angry at my mom for her lack of protection, her rejection, abandonment, and placing her responsibilities of caring for my younger sisters on me while growing up. All this time, I was coping by justifying and making excuses for her and her actions, thinking I had no right to be angry. It was all, I was also angry with my husband for what seemed to be his lack of intimacy, indifference to my depression, and what I saw as his unhealthy attachment to our daughters. The realization of my inadequacies and failings as a female, wife, mother, and daughter began to cause me to self-loathe and self-condemn. I felt like ending my life would rid me of my pain and the world of this horrible person I had become and was inflicting on my family. The suicidal thoughts were so dominant, it was all I thought of, and the suicidal planning began giving me minimal emotional relief. One evening, God showed me if I didn't get some real healing, I would leave my daughters the legacy of their mother committing suicide. Finally, at the end of my rope, I moved out of my home and left my family in an attempt to save what was left of my life. Looking back, for the two years prior, I'd been hearing about celebrate recovery, and in my pride, I thought I knew better. I searched for a specific program out there for abuse victims instead. As always, God had other plans. I never found that other program. In 2010, my church started Celebrate Recovery Step Study. The next months would prove to be the most emotionally difficult months of my life as I grieved and allowed myself to feel the pain of my loss, abuse, rejection, abandonment, unworthiness, shame, and aloneness, which ultimately led to healing, hope, and peace. I also came out of denial and admitted my pride, which proved more painful as well. And in the midst of the pain and that study, I started reading the Psalms. In chapter 34, verses 17 and 18, the righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Relief washed over me. I now knew that God understood my pain. God brought me to other verses that I clung to, like Isaiah 42, 3. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. I experienced my pain and grief because I was allowing myself to feel the pain instead of denying or medicating it. I remember being on my knees, angry, and crying to the Lord one difficult night. The Lord led me to 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ. Lord, really? I was, I was like... Are you crazy? Thankful for all this pain? It was horrible. And honestly, I thought I must have misread the verse, so I reread it and reread it. And yes, that's what I said. That's when I fully surrendered and humbled myself, recognizing that he said, be thankful in all circumstances, not just good or happy ones, but all. The scripture has become my go-to scripture, especially when I'm going through a situation or struggle. It reminds me that he will use the experience and me when I can be grateful. It also proves peace. It also provides peace that surpasses my understanding. God used that study to strip me of all that I'd held onto in the world and to draw me closer to his spirit into an intimate daddy-daughter relationship. 
He helped me see that I had set up people close to me as idols and was experiencing just what Psalm 16, 4a says, the sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I got through the study by God's amazing grace. I gained practical and emotional tools to help me cope with my issues, past, present, and future. I now desire to dedicate time and energy to reading the Bible, getting up early for quiet times and reflection. My relationship with the Lord has grown and daily grows. When I lean into Him, lean into time with Him, I continue to experience true healing and sweet time in His presence. I've experienced His love only the way He can love. He is able to give me all things I hadn't received as a child. Time, nurturing, unconditional love, acceptance, restoration, redemption, forgiveness. The list goes on. There's so many I can't even name them all. There are no adequate words to describe how gracious, merciful, and forgiving he's been to me. Because of Celebrate Recovery, I'm on the path he has for me rather than my own. God literally saved my life using Celebrate Recovery. In Celebrate Recovery, I've earned honesty and transparency bring freedom. I can trust and share in small group because someone else has probably experienced some of the same emotions or abuses. I've learned to speak the Lord's truths to myself rather than listening to the enemy's lies. I have a gratitude list I go through daily. I now know I have many choices and want to choose the Lord's will, not mine. I also step out of isolation and ask for help when I need it. Over the last 13 years, I've been privileged and honored to serve and give back by volunteering where needed and called at Celebrate Recoveries. I was humbled to be an encourager coach with RCR's ministry, where, which is a stretch for me. <laughs> My gifting is not leadership, it's bossiness. He used that experience to build my character and stretch me. I want to choose, I want and choose to be obedient to him and his will because it gives me continued freedom from, my, from the spiritual chains that held me in bondage and molds me into what he desires me to be. I also get to experience more joy and contentment in life when I'm obedient to his will rather than mine. In Joel 2.25, it says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. He is restoring my present and future, what was devoured in my past. I'm learning to receive his grace and give myself more grace. Grace tells me I am the caterpillar turning into his version of a beautiful butterfly. I am maturing into what God created me to be, a precious, beloved, adored daughter of the king. I'm not completely healed or free from my issues. It's a continuous journey. <laughs> I need to, still need to fully forgive my mother, um, but I know that God, with God's help, I'll be able to, as I continue to do step studies and dig into the many whys. My marriage did not survive, um, but I know God holds me and my ex-husband in his hands. I still love him and remain in my heart, married to him, until the Lord changes my heart in that regard. Ruth tells Naomi in verse 116, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. This is my covenant with the Lord. It also reminds me of my love, devotion, and adoration of Jesus, which leads me to obedience to his plan daily. I continue to work on my relationship with my estranged daughters. I truly believe in my unhealthiness that they would hate me for a very long time. I'm getting to practice being patient with them and have hope that God will renew our relationship someday. 
Because of my spiritual growth of the Holy Spirit and my recovery over the last few years, I was able to hear when God called me in 2014 to go on an international uh, Celebrate Recovery mission trip. It's a, it was a huge step um, for me to come out of my comfort zone because of God's timing. I only had one week to prepare mentally, physically, and financially. I had done no fundraising, had no required shots, had to leave my clients. I, was a, I had my own business for 16 days. That in and of itself was quite miraculous because at the time I only worked for myself and when it didn't work, I didn't get paid. God showed up and showed off in a huge way. He provided everything, paid every inch of the way. The trip took us to Kenya and Rwanda where we visited men and women in Kenyan prisons and Rwandan churches where they implemented silver recovery. I experienced such a spiritual high and at the same time such heartbreak for the brokenness of other people groups who have nothing. To be given God's eyes in those brief moments was such a privilege and so humbling. It was an amazing adventure I would not likely have been able to experience without my recovery and God being the master of my life. It was in Rwanda where I heard the Lord speak to me about becoming a missionary. At the time, oh, I was so fearful. I was like, I don't want to be in Rwanda. I don't want to live in a mud hut. I was just, it was just the catalyst to prepare my heart to be obedient to his calling to the Native Nations. In 2017, while attending um, the CR's conference, my heart was burdened for the, the then New Native Nations Initiative. Over a two-and-a-half-year period, the Lord continued to speak to me and tenderly call my heart to his calling and missions, which seemed to be pointing to Pine Ridge Reservation. When the Lord started to prick my heart for Native people, I had hoped it would be someplace close to me in Texas so I could come and go easy, one-day trips, stay in my comfort zone. Like, I thought maybe Oklahoma, New Mexico. Yeah, that's not really what he had in mind. I relocated the end of February 2019 to Alliance, Nebraska, which is 75 miles from Pine Ridge, in the northwest corner of Nebraska. My heart is to share the hope of Christ to anyone that desires to receive emotional healing by beginning a faith-based equine ministry, the Landing for Teens, and a Native Nations CR. But there's much cultivating of relationships that takes time, which is why the Lord asked me to relocate. All along, I thought God brought me north to start a CR on Pine Ridge, where there is so much hopelessness, so much so I get overwhelmed with all needs when visiting. Leave it to God to remind me to focus on Him, It isn't Pine Ridge yet, but rather right in Alliance where I live. We have a Native population that also needs the hope and healing of Jesus. The hope is that the CR will be Native-led eventually. That will begin with large group meetings. We We hope to have Native trained leaders, and then we can begin small groups. Prayers coveted for this in the group. The enemy does not want healing for our Native brothers and sisters and seeks to discourage them. He reminds them of their historical pain, anger, and hatred toward outsiders and wants to, help, wants them to keep them in addiction and hopelessness. Late in 2021, the Lord asked me to leave my salaried, comfortable, consistent, remote job as another act of trust and obedience for what he had for me. I found, it, found in that he wanted me to volunteer more time in the equine-assisted healing area. I've also found this to be my passion and so excited to be on this journey. Celebrate Recovery has been crucial in this dream. I'm humbled yet again that God would allow me this opportunity. I've accepted my recovery journey to be a lifelong process, but without a doubt, I know I have freedom 
and, it, and healthier with each passing day, and we'll only get healthier with the help of the Lord. I accept that my unhealthiness didn't happen overnight, so my recovery won't happen overnight either. I've been through several step studies, find that there are still people I need to forgive, issues I have to deal with, and more tools to gain just to do everyday life. But the journey is so much richer, peaceful, and joyful now. I have no idea what the future holds, but I do know who to trust with it, who to lean on, and the one who truly is in control of it, Jesus. He has all the answers. So that's just a little bit about me and how I came to, came to the conclusion I need to be far north. <laughs> um, oh, technology. Um, I did want to, I have some note cards here. I'm hoping I don't look lose track of where I am, but I wanted to share with y'all about Pine Ridge a little bit. And I am going to open up to questions because I know I probably won't cover everything and I'll answer what I can, but um, Pine Ridge is the second poorest um, reservation in the United States um, versus the Navajo. Um, But the poverty is so bad, it's a third world country in our own country. I mean, if you talk to Tom or Randy, they can probably attest to that as well. And we didn't even really see a lot of the poverty. Um, anyway, they, um, it's not, they, they don't really, they're not very welcoming to outsiders. They're very, um, to themselves, they, they deal with us <laughs> as they have to. But um, they have their own, their own tribal government. They're their own nation. Um, they have leadership like our government. Um, it's corrupt on Pine Ridge. Um, that's why there's so much poverty because the government does give stipends to the families. Every It's, it's part of their reparation uh, plan. Um, I don't think it's helping. I think it's hurting because there's a lot of alcoholism, drug addiction, um, homelessness, hopelessness. I mean, it's it, there's so many things that um, contribute to it. Um, but what else is I going to tell you about that? Oh, they don't eat very healthy because um, they just don't have access to fruits, vegetables, and things like that. And they do have some grocery stores, but they're very high. Um, the people who own them take advantage of because they're so remote. Um, there's a lot of people that live. I think there's about 20,000 residents or natives that live. They're Lakota, Lakota Sioux. And they live on the reservation, but a lot of them are outlying areas. And last winter, just for an example, last winter we had so much snow that people would be stranded for two weeks, um, couldn't get plowed out because they don't have the same resources we have. Um, And so people were burning clothes, they were burning furniture, whatever they could for heat because they ran out. They don't plan, so they don't. They didn't have wood. They didn't have propane. And so that was tragic because people died. I mean, it can get you know thirty below in South Dakota. And um, a lot of the homes out there don't have electricity. They don't have running water. Um, This happens in our country. This is happening right here. And I know there's a lot of, even there's poverty here in Dallas. I I used to live here for almost 30 years, and I even worked with nonprofits that that dealt with people in poverty, but it was nothing like what I've seen and experienced and heard about in Pine Ridge. So that's just a little bit about the community that I'm serving. Um, it wouldn't have been my choice. <laughs> it was not my choice, <laughs> as you can tell from my testimony. Um, number one, it's cold. I don't like cold weather. <laughs> I'm trying to accept it and, and um, 
and I don't love it, but I'm just saying, okay, Lord, I, I'm accepting it. I'm, I dress warm and la- wear lots of layers. Um, it's really far from my support system and my family. I don't struggle with my depression near as much as I did when I first left because I'm leaning more on the Lord. I don't have much of a support system up there. A lot of people find out you're transient, you're going to be there just for a little while, and they don't really want to get to know you. And not just the natives, it's the people in the community I live in as well. So that's been a challenge. Um, But I'm, again, not going to feel sorry for myself. I'm just sucking it up, so to speak, and saying, okay, Lord, it's you and me. And and I just keep on loving him well and try to reach people as I can and share the hope I've I've gained. Um, Okay. What do I need to do here? Turn this on. Sorry, I'm, I don't have many pictures to show you, but I did want to show you a few pictures. Where do I point to? It's on. Sorry, y'all. I am. <laughs> oh, good. I don't have to show pictures, but I thought it would just be, y'all probably don't want to keep looking at me. You'd rather see some pictures. Um, one thing I did want to share with you, uh, and I, I was mentioning to somebody when I first got to town, somebody I met with, and I was saying, you know, I don't feel like I've reached anybody and been able to to share the salvation message with anybody, so to speak. And that's hard for me. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a preacher. That's not my gifting. My gifting is encouragement. So that's what I try to do. I live in my encouragement and don't try to be something I'm not. And so I I can tend to get discouraged when I focus on the things that I'm not good at or that God's not gifted me at. So it's a daily struggle. Um, Oh, there we go. Oh. Oh, good. Okay. So this is when you... um, the, the reservation is right as you drive into South Dakota from a little community called White Clay. And I, didn't, I don't have a picture of White Clay, but White Clay is in Nebraska. It's a little town that used to be, the only thing it really had was a lot of bars and liquor stores. And it was horrific for the Native community. Because they, they could walk from Pine Ridge, which is a four-mile walk, to, um, in, into White Clay and buy their alcohol. People were dying in the streets. They were killing each other. I mean, it was just terrific. Well, some people came together and closed down white clay and removed all of the, it took many years, but they got rid of all the liquor stores, all of the alcohol. There's no longer, they can't sell alcohol in white clay anymore. Now they just drive further to get it. But anyway, so this is the entrance to South Dakota and um, Pine Ridge. Oh, there we go. So one of the big things I do, um, and I started this before I even moved up there, was collect coats. Um, I really, I had, I heard a missionary speak about it when I was there visiting in 2017, and her desire was to collect coats for the children and the youth of Pine Ridge. They don't have a choice, and sometimes they go without a lot. And so that was something that was something physically I could do. So over the last six years, we've collected over a thousand coats, and my family have helped me organize them. This is one of my family members when I was still living here. We stuffed them into cars and brought them up. So there, I mean, it was it's, it was a challenge, and it was new coats I was requesting because these kids are used to getting hand me downs and handouts, and so we wanted to give them a blessing of a new coat. 
It's at, and this is actually one of the events we did where we let them choose their coat or try them on, kind of like a store. And they would to leave with that coat and not have to pay anything. And they would usually also get a meal. I think that's oh no, it's another picture of a little girl. But they would also get a meal and prayed for. There was worship music going on. We would try to witness to them. I've gotten away from doing this because I felt like there was no personal, uh, no way to build personal relationships. And I'm really about the relationship because that's what Jesus wants with us. You can hand out money and coats all day long. But if they don't know Jesus, it's for nothing, right? Okay, this is a pretty special guy on the left here. His name is Brian Brewer. He, is, um, he, will, he calls himself a half-breed <laughs> because he's half Lakota and half white. Um, but he was once, um, I think about eight years ago, he was the tribal council president. And he is one of the few presidents who's wanted to make change for the people and better it. Well, he was voted out two years later because he wasn't corrupt enough for them. So, but he has a heart for the homeless veterans. He's a veteran, and, and so I've been helping him collect hygiene kits. I will buy all the hygiene items or have donated people donate hygiene items, and I put them into baggies. I put sizes on them, and then I take them up to him, and he gives them to the people to distribute. I don't ever meet the veterans, and that's not for me. I would love to, but that's not what God wants me to do. So I let Brian do all the giving, and I don't ask for anything in return. The guy on the right with the kids, this is Henry. He's also one of the guys. I I was telling somebody earlier, there have been three people initially that the Lord laid on my heart to really minister to and love on and pour into, and these are two of the people. Henry has a heart for kids. He's never been married. He's full-blood Lakota, um, and he has done for over 30 years kids' club on Pine Ridge with no money. We just recently started a nonprofit for him so that people can donate and give so that it can support him and what he does in his kids' ministries. I will tell you this. One of the pictures coming up is a a summertime thing I did when I first got there. I no longer do the summertime with the kids. (laughs) That's not my calling. I thought it might be, but I was like, I can't do this. This is way too much. But this was a trip that he asked me to go on. We were going to a fundraiser in Chicago. A group was having a fundraiser for him, and so we took some of the kids. This is that picture I was telling you about where we did kids, that helped with the kids' club that summer. Um, he ministers to, we collected 80, 90 coats this year for the kids he ministers to. So any age. But he loves those kids, and he just pours into them and tries to witness to them. I did get the privilege before COVID to get to go to a powwow. Um, and they have all different ages. And it was it was so... Awe. It was just awe. I was just like sitting there just in awe how cool it was and how amazing, beautiful, the dancing. It's not my thing. I'm not going to listen to their, the, the powwow music, but it was just beautiful ritual, and it's their tradition. This little church, and this is, a, is a, actually a personal contact for you guys. This is the Kyle Community House of Prayer. Um, we... I met this couple who started the house church, and they end up getting a building. Um, I think they, I don't know if they own it now or they rent it. I can't remember. I think maybe they own it because they also have a coffee shop next door. They had no heat for this building, and they were trying to meet in the winters when it's 30 below outside. And so I petitioned Micah and a couple of other pastors I know and friends that had churches that were different churches and said, hey, is there any way that we can come up and with some money to help them get heat installed? And so we were able to do that 
just a few weeks ago, finally got it installed. That's how long it takes up there to get anything done. But they do have a heater now. Now they're like, we need another heater. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know we have the funding for that. They have a heater. We just haven't, we didn't get installed. And so they're thinking they did. Anyway, this couple is really trying to do right by their community. Kyle is another little village on Pine Ridge. Um, and it's far in, in the far northeast corner. Um, of the reservation. It's, it's pretty small, but they are trying to love on people, witness, and, and share Jesus with everybody that they can. I don't have a picture of them. They're my newest people that I'm trying to love on. Mission groups. So last year was the first year from we had a mission team from my home church come up, and we, they wanted a, a chain, link built, chain link fence built around a playground that they had just put up for kids to come and play in a safe area. So this was one of the mission, um, one of the, we were drilling holes for the poles and stuff like that. Anyway, that's one of the things that I'm trying to help bring awareness to is other, other uh, projects that we can do. There's plenty to do, but I'm, I'm very God-selective about who we do them for and who with. You, I was telling somebody earlier that we have tons of mission groups that are on Pine Ridge, tons of churches that come into Pine Ridge all over the world, all over our nation, um, and some are good and some aren't. Um, some say they're doing it in Christ's name, but they're doing it for themselves, to promote themselves and to make themselves look good, and the Native people know that. And so the reason I don't have a lot of pictures of kids and housing and is because I was informed during 2020, um, talking to somebody, that they feel very exploited by the outsiders because we take pictures and we go back and raise all these funds and they don't get to see those funds. They don't know what we're doing with them. And so they just feel like we use them. So I stopped taking, I feel very convicted. I'm going to, I'm not taking pictures unless somebody offers or wants me, you know, or wants to send me a picture. I will let them do that. Cause when we hand out coats, I would love to send my donors pictures of the kid with their coat, but I don't cause I don't have them and I'm not going to ask for them. Uh, so that's why I don't have a lot of pictures. This is the mission group. We also did. I'm also tour guide. <laughs> this is. Um, we went to the Badlands. So one of the other things I do um, that I felt the Lord um, wanted me. I'm not even calling my note cards here. I'm probably forgetting tons of stuff. Um, one of the things I've um, been able to do this last year was I became a certified chaplain, and um, which it's really nothing more than what I was already doing. I'm already doing everything that a chaplain can do. But it allows me more credibility going into the jails with the police station, with the fire station, to go and be of help if there's a death notification or we go into the jails. And so every other week I go into the jails to the female area with another chaplain, and we just love on the girls. We, they're normally not there long enough to have a study or uh, you know, do much of anything, but we share a word and we just share our stories and say we love you and care about you. We want to help you find resources if you are struggling. A lot of them are native. It's in there. A lot of them. It's repetitive um, arrests. Um, and so this is one of my our, our first girls that I've gotten to love on. That's been a success story. Um, her name is Irene, and she's she struggles so much with anxiety. To the, it's debilitating. And she had a life, she had a family, and it was all ripped away from her, and she just cratered and fell apart. She was arrested, and she's been on and off drugs, but 
this is um, I started taking her out to the horse place that I go to because it's very therapeutic. And this was a picture of her with him. But um, she's actually been able to maintain a job. She's been able to stay away from drugs. She's staying away from the people that she needs to stay away from. Um, and she's a blessing. She doesn't know that. I'm repeatedly telling her, and, and she doesn't always ask for help. That's the other thing. They won't ask for help, and so I'm constantly having to check on her, make sure she's okay. But she's one of the, one of the ones who's been able to stay away from crime and the addiction. So the other thing I think I talked about briefly was the equine-assisted thing. So a childhood dream of mine was to be around horses, and I didn't put this in my testimony, but uh, when I was getting ready to move up to um, Nebraska, I'm like, well, I'm 50-something now. And I'm never going to be around horses, so I need to let go of that dream, Lord. And then the lady who, the nonprofit I'm with, she called me a couple weeks later. She goes, I think we need to start a horse ministry. And I went, do what? (laughs) And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I just started crying because I'm like, God's going to fulfill that dream. And so, sure enough, there's a nonprofit and alliance. It's a rescue. We rescue horses and um, retrain or take relinquished horses and um, and we use them in therapy. Um, she's, she began only with physical therapy or for, for um, her clients, and then we have done some equine-assisted stuff too. And mine is going to be faith-based because Jesus uses horses, y'all. I don't know if y'all knew that. <laughs> he uses horses and, and donkeys, yep. We have a donkey too, I'll show you. I'm not sure that one's going to be on here. Oops, did I turn it off? Oh, there we go. And this is some of the training that um, I've been able to do and been so blessed by um, and some of the horses I've gotten to work with. This was a faith-based training we went to, and she does only faith-based stuff. She uses Jesus. She uses worship with the horses. It's just amazing. But it's healing for people who struggle with um, hopelessness and, and grief. I mean, there's all kinds of issues out there that horses can help with. This was um, Henry brought a group down down to us, and we did a, um, a team-building exercise with some of his kids. And so as you can tell, they're trying to, one's blindfolded and one's not, and one's carrying an egg and the other's not, and so they're trying to accomplish this as a team, and we kind of try to just kind of teach them how to work together, because as a society, even not just Pine Ridge, but even as a society, we, society, we don't want to work as a team. We, normally, our flesh is what we want to do on our own, Right. And this is just some of the pictures with the kids um, and the horses. You, so historically, right, or your picture in your head is natives and horses kind of go together, right? Not so much anymore. There's not a lot of horses on Pine Ridge. There are a few people who have ranches and have horses. But these kids have never ridden horses or been around horses. Most of them have never left the reservation or the state of South Dakota. This is another... Um, I, I try to practice doing the faith-based stuff until I can actually get to do it, but we want to offer our services for free because there's so much need, and we know a lot of people just can't afford to do it. It was just another session that I was having, another team-building session that I did at a kid's camp with another horse friend lady in central Nebraska. And what's really cool about it is it's so focused on Jesus, and that's my heart. Ultimately, that's what my desire is when God's done with me in Pine Ridge is to come back and have an equine-assisted ministry um, that's totally focused in glorifying God 
but it's helping these kiddos get out of whatever situation, struggle, bullying, whatever they're having issues with, or just grief, and CASA kids or foster care kids, that it would be so amazing to have something like that. The light, so this is another one of those equine-assisted things, but I want to tell you the story on the left, lady on the left. She was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer, and um, so she came out to do a faith-based equine-assisted um, session with us to come to grips with her mortality. She was not a believer. And, but this horse also has cancer. He's got cancer of the eye, and they died within two months of each other. But it was powerful to see that connection and just how she was able to grieve and to accept that she was you know, about to die. And the horse kind of helped her with that. And the other one's just another friend who's doing some equine-assisted stuff. Oh, that's it. That's all I have on pictures. Um, 